Hi, my name's Andy Cope and welcome to the most uplifting podcast in the world. As a positive psychology researcher, I'm excited, delighted and honoured to be sitting in the podcast hot seat. The aim is to bring you guests who have something interesting or insightful or inspirational. They might have a story to tell, something clever, something simple, anything goes. We hope to inspire, educate, entertain and on a good day, maybe even make you chuckle. And why should you listen? Well, we figure life is relentless. It's full on. And most people are a million miles away from feeling as great as they could. So think of this podcast as a reminder or maybe a leg up to being a better version of you. Sometimes against the odds. So relax, open your ears, open your mind and allow me to bring you this week's amazing episode of the best podcast in the world. On with the show. Okay, welcome again, folks, to another episode of the Arboreal Podcast. Um, before we get started, I've, I'm, by the way, I'm—I mean, I'm always excited, aren't I? But I mean, this one is epic. Uh, can I just mention my new book? Now, look, I don't want to be in your face with it—the little book of being brilliant, brand new. And um, oh, is it just the same old thing, Andy? Are you just re- no, no, no? It's not the same old thing. Oh my gosh, it's my best book ever I would say I do solemnly swear I'm putting my hand on my heart I do solemnly swear it is a fine fine read if you're a uh, if you want to know anything about happiness well-being positive psychology resilience and you want to have a bit of a laugh then it's it's on cracking form I mean I did enjoy shine I mean shine written with Gav that's proper funny and it's got great content as well but little book of being brill oh and Gav's written the intro and it is just the best introduction to forward for a book ever um, so please 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 read the book um, and then review it if you like it get five Five stars. I'll draw your attention to five stars. You have no idea, right, how much a one-star review rips the happiness out of your soul. All right. So, um, so please buy it, and then I'll become fabulously rich. I mean, I mean, please buy it, and then lots of lives will get transformed. That's what I should have said. Uh, so it's my best of, best of ten years down the line. So today's podcast is kind of a little bit of a double helping, really. It's a bit longer than normal because I just couldn't stop listening to Jamie Smart. In my world, Jamie is a megastar. Uh, I'm grappling with something that some of you will know about called the three principles of mind, thought and consciousness. I'm wrestling with them like Big Daddy and Giant Ace Tax. Jamie, he's pinned them down in a Boston crab. So that's probably 1970s ref, uh, wrestling reference that will be lost on the, the, the young people. But Jamie is, and I promise you, the world's best exponent of mind, thought and consciousness. He he manages, to, I tried to challenge him and I just can't because he's just nailed it. He's got a certainty in about it. So, and you know, like at the start of this, this, this podcast, there's probably this glib, slightly cheesy me going, oh, this is the best podcast in the world. Actually, I've got an admission, folks. It actually isn't. It's, this is the second best podcast in the world. Jamie's podcast is better, and that's off to the fella, right? So he's got two podcasts out there. You look him up, Google him, you'll find it. And his books are cracking, right? It's particularly Clarity, Little Book of Clarity. Get your eyes around that. But we'll put all a link to that on the website anyway. Meantime, and I know this has been a long intro. There's about to be another long intro because I was so excited. Apologies for that. If you skip forward two minutes, you'll get straight to Jamie. Meantime, is another two minutes of me being excited. Okay, podcast listeners. I mean, it's fever pitch at this end. the The hot seat is red hot today because I've got one of my heroes, um, Jamie Smart, and I'm not sure that he actually knows he's one of my heroes. We'll get to that in a second. Um, it all started from there's a bit of a backstory to this. The, the chronology might be all over the place, but it, I think it was about 
uh, somewhere between 10 and 15 years ago. We, we both knew some stuff, right? So we both knew that our stuff was good and we were both successful at, at doing what we did at that time. And Jamie's at, Jamie at that time was an NLP guru and he's, he was proper good. I mean, I bought his CDs and everything. Uh, and I wasn't bad either. I worked in a business school and I, w I wasn't as kind of insightful as Jamie, but I had the knowledge, I had the, the, you know, the academia behind me. Anyway, we met briefly. Jamie might not remember, but it was just once on a course. We were both delegates on the course. And I would say, it's probably about 15 years ago, I would describe, knowing what I know now, I would say Jamie was in transition, right? It's a bit more about that later. Now, what I didn't know at the time is that also, so was I. I just hadn't figured it out yet. And I'm not sure Jamie had. He'll tell me in a minute. Anyway, we didn't, I think it's safe to say, he probably can't even remember meeting me. We didn't connect as in, you know, best buddies on the course. In fact, from, from my memory, Jamie only turned up halfway through the day. <laughs> he walked in. Um, and uh, it, was a, it, was a guy, it was a guy called Richard Wilkins. It was a really cool course. And Jamie gave me the air of, he's done the course before. He knew Richard really well. He, he kind of came in for the free lunch. And I didn't know it was Jamie Smart until he opened his mouth. And then he's got a very distinctive voice. And it, I was currently listening to his CD in my car. So anyway, well, to cut a long story short, guru Jamie Smart walks into the room. I'm a bit starstruck. And I had the impression I'd never met a guru before or somebody I'd listened to on a CD. And I thought he was going to take over the course and be a bit mouthy and a bit kind of know-it-all, because he does know it all. But he wasn't. In fact, he was a little bit, I don't know if you mind me saying, a bit agitated. Um, he'd been on the course several times before. He didn't really need to be there. I did, but Jamie didn't. So that, that he wasn't what I expected. Anyway, I don't want to kind of bore you with all the backstory, but then Jamie went his way, I went my way. I enrolled in a PhD, Loughborough Uni, 12 years down the line, Doctor of Positive Psychology, immersed in academia, the science of well-being, seeking out happy people, tracking them down, finding out their secrets, 130,000 academic words, a PhD, a doorstop of a beast. I'm a doctor of big words. And Jamie went the opposite way. Right? He worked hard. I'm sure he worked incredibly hard to achieve what he's achieved. And he's in the same field as me, happiness, well-being, human flourishing. But he's not coming at it from big words, ladies and gentlemen. That's what excites me. It's insight. It's the aha moments. And then here we are. <laughs> I put an email out to him. Can you come on the podcast? Here we are 15 years later. Totally different path to happiness. But both, I think, we've arrived in the same place. So of all the podcasts, uh, I mean, James is a speaker. He's a coach. He's, a, he's an author. His books, Clarity and Results, have been out. They're the best books around, right? And while I always credit, and I've had the speakers on, I've had the guys on this podcast, David Taylor, Naked Leader, Paul McGee, Sumo Guy, they were the guys who woke me up. They were the guys whose books rebooted me. But Jamie's books have kept me going. And I think that's probably the most important thing is because it's easy to start a journey. It's always easy for us to, to do something different for a while. But maintaining your zest for life, keeping your learning going, taking you into territory that, you, that is scary and you didn't know it existed and opening yourself up to, to all that kind of stuff. That's what Jamie's done. That's what I've done as well. And um, knowledge, insight. So it is with much fanfare that I will conclude this longest introduction in the world and trumpet blowing. And I will proudly introduce you to the one and only Jamie Smart. Dude, how are you? Uh, I am good. And I love the intro. And I, I think I was too busy being agitated 
15 years ago to connect with anyone. So apologies for that. Uh... No, no, no. <laughs> I don't know what state I, because I know I'm a religious listener of your podcast and I've read all your books. So I, di I didn't know your history at the time, mate. I had no idea of the history. And uh, um, I just knew you as an NLP guru. So can we start with where we normally start on the podcast? And this is a difficult podcast to plan, I may say, young man, because I don't know what you're going to say. Um, but if can we go back to old Jamie and then we'll come up to date with new Jamie. So tell me about the, let's go back to the NLP days or even before if you want. Well, I'll jump in just before the NLP days because it's relevant. Because what I used to do before I got into any of this stuff is I used to be an IT project manager. So we would be doing big computer projects that involved organizational change. And I was stressed out of my mind. I thought there's something else I'm supposed to be doing, I think, but I don't know what it is. And and I went on an NLP course. Now, now before then, I'd been drinking alcoholically and that had really messed to, you know, deal with stress and what have you. That had really messed with me. So I'd stopped drinking and then got into spirituality and NLP and all this kind of stuff. And I went on uh, a weekend NLP course back in 1998 and I saw basically the NLP trainer leading the group and, and spending two days, a, kind of the coolest training course I'd ever been on because the previous training courses I'd been on had been like a practical approach to data management and that kind of thing. And I thought, I want to do that. I had an insight was like, I would love to stand at the front of the room and work with people and, and sort of thing. I thought, I'd love to do that kind of weird. Like I wanted to do something that I didn't like doing. And, uh, and so I just got started and I got in, very interested in NLP and I thought it was the coolest thing since sliced bread and I became fascinated with it and learned as much as I could. And, and that was, you know, one of the beautiful things about life then and life now is I was exploring stuff that, I, that I'm fascinated with. It's stuff, And it's the fact that life seemed to be, get better as I explored it was a bonus. But it was really fascinating. So I was exploring NLP, teaching NLP, uh, creating products and stuff, which you listened to. And, and I loved it. And Andy, if you said to me, if you'd asked me, maybe in, I don't know, 2005 or 2006, what are you going to be doing for the rest of your life? I would have said learning and teaching NLP because like it seemed like it was I, I loved doing it. it. It was so cool. But at a certain point, I realized that I, I, I had this idea. Oh, I, I don't know. You ever come across a book called The Four Hour Work Week? Mm, vaguely, probably. Yeah. Tim Ferriss, anyway. Yeah, Tim, Tim Ferriss. Ferriss. Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. That's that sort of thing. He wrote The 4-Hour Workweek, and I read this book. I was like, that's what I need to do. It's basically get my business running on autopilot, go and have adventures, keep exploring, that sort of thing. So I started doing that and went on my first mini retirement. This is back in like 2008, which was a, a three-month ski holiday at Whistler in Canada. And six weeks in, I was miserable. And I'm like... <laughs> What is wrong with this picture? I teach people all about fulfillment and well-being. I have a life beyond my wildest dreams. Externally, I was living in the circumstances of success or what I'd defined as success. But Andy, I wasn't having the experience of success. I wasn't feeling 
successful. I wasn't feeling happy and connected. I wasn't feeling on purpose. I didn't have a sense of well-being. I was, I was, you know, off track. So I had to go back to the drawing board. And that's when things changed. Okay. Now, because isn't it interesting that we spent five minutes talking about NLP and this podcast is absolutely not about NLP. So was there a moment, mate, was what I'm not sure where the transition came from, because we're now into the realms of, uh, well, I'll let, I'll let you explain what you do. But if should we go to Stid Banks or where, where do we start with the next bit? The new Jamie? Well, so I, I guess the thing is, you'll know, transitions of this sort, they happen over a long time. So when I met you all those years ago, I was like you were spotted. I was already in transition. I didn't necessarily know what was going on or what it was, but I'd actually had an insight, Andy. So this is when I was still teaching NLP. I'd had an insight and all it was was, I got like a vision, if you like, a vision, a picture in my head of me sitting with a group of people in the sunshine in a beautiful location. And what I was teaching them was about peace of mind and happiness and security and well-being. And the feeling that came with it was just this incredible sense of peace and well-being. And I'm like, oh, that's amazing. But I wasn't experiencing it at the time. Like It was almost like a beacon saying, that's the right direction. I was like, oh, well, great. I don't even know how to do that. I don't even know how to do that for myself, far less teach anyone else. And so I started exploring. And um, I hired a coach. And I started looking in the direction of uh, what he was exploring, which was called the three principles. And I... I, it was being presented to me, Andy, as this is the truth. This is the truth of how the mind works and all that sort of stuff. And I was like, don't give me that. I, it's, a, it's a belief system. It's a belief system like – and I, at this point, studied countless belief systems and methods and methodologies. But I was like, look, it's an interesting belief system. Just don't tell me it's true. So I'm exploring. And then what I noticed, I would be arguing with my coach constantly, but every once in a while, my head would just go so quiet inside and I would kind of settle down. I was like, there's something to this. There's something to it. And I started reading books about it and stuff. And, and I had an insight and the first insight I had really hit me. It was like everything you've been looking for outside of you is already there within you. And I was like, Whoa. And it's not like someone had told me that I I went from not knowing it to knowing it. I'm like, oh, I, I didn't know that. So I was like, that's interesting. So I started talking about it, and I had a group of my buddies around one night. And we we kind of had a men's group that met up every couple of weeks. And I said, guys, would it be okay if I shared some of this stuff with you? And I started talking to them about what I'd been seeing. So I talked to them for half an hour about it. And then I put on a recording by Sid Banks, the guy you mentioned. Bit of backstory on Sid. He was a Scottish welder. And in the early 70s, not interested in any of the stuff you and I are interested in, Andy, in the early 70s, he had a sudden insight and saw just something deep about the truth of who we really are and how our experience is created. And he, by his own account, he went from being an anxious, insecure, stressed out guy in his mid 40s to being the happiest, most peaceful, 
joyful person, loving person that anyone he knew had ever met. Like it was game changing. And he's so he's the person who first articulated what I refer to as subtractive psychology, what you may have heard described as the inside out understanding or the principles behind clarity or the three principles or there are lots of names for it. Now, Sid was saw something that kind of spiritual teachers throughout history have seen. However, he was able to articulate it using the the metaphor, if you like, of principles. And the thing that's so cool about principles is this. Principles, not as in three good ideas for making chicken soup, but rather principles in the sense of bedrock facts about how the world already works. So for instance, the principle of gravity is a bedrock fact, is a pre-existing fact about life. Like someone can say, well, I don't agree with the principle of gravity. You're like, fill your boots, <laughs> do it, do what you like. It's, it, gravity doesn't care what you think. It's, it's gonna just do its thing. And what Banks saw was that there are pre-existing facts about how our experience is created, how we go through life, how our minds work that you can rely on. And the cool thing about that, Andy, is like if you stop and think of it for a moment, when we were born, we didn't know anything about the fact of gravity. But by the time we're five, six, seven years old, we're running around, we're jumping, we're doing things because we've got an embodied understanding of those, of the implications of the fact of gravity. And we understand it so well that we use it thousands of times every day without even thinking about it. So that's the kind of the game changer about seeing any principle. When you see something that's a pre-existing fact of life, we learn voraciously from it. The psychologists call it learning from data. They call it statistical learning, which sounds so boring, I never say it, but learning from raw data pouring into our senses. So that's what, that's what I realized. So I was like, oh, everything you've been looking for outside is actually coming from inside. So I do this, talk to this group of guys, and I say, let's listen to a recording by Sid Banks, just because, and at that time, Andy, this is early 2009, I'm like, check out this weird recording from the guy who came across this, because Sid talks in a very kind of abstract way. So I'm with this group of guys listening to this recording. It's only like 20 minutes, and I have another insight. And what I see is the fact that a person can see or hear or feel, the fact that a person can even have a perceptual experience means they have innate mental health and well-being already within them. Like I saw it for everyone and instantly that transformed my work with clients. Like it made it so much easier because I saw everyone's got every like there's seven billion of us on this planet and we all have that innate capacity for mental health and well-being already there within us so i mean i may i'm just well i'm just sitting here grinning from ear to ear because it's it uh, but, but because i know i i kind of get the three i lovely i love the three principles i would say the thing is what i don't want mate what i don't want is just to keep agreeing with you although it's a really bad <laughs> podcast <laughs> feel free to disagree yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I feel very comfortable with it. No, no, I do. Dis I do agree almost entirely with it, and it's hard to disagree with. I mean, I also was a welder, by the way, so I feel affili affiliated to Sid a little bit. I spent a year when I left school being a welder, so when I found out Sid was a welder, I'm going, do you know what? I'm not, I'm not, that yeah, credibility for for the man. The thing about Sid. And the thing about your work, actually, mate, is you, you hardly mention the three principles. You do reference Sid, 
but you don't really talk about the you don't talk about mind thought and consciousness right you haven't even said what those three are right mm-hmm. and and I don't want to unpick those because for me that I don't understand the mind bit this connect everything's connected and uh, it's beyond me oh, unless you've got a really simple way of saying it do we need to go there or should we just go with um the insight of understanding what it means when you get it what well, I can I can talk very very quickly. Mind, thought, and consciousness are just three words that Sid uh, used to describe the kind of innate intelligence of everything. So you know, if you go back through spiritual traditions, they'll say everything is one and all that sort of stuff. So he's, but and so if you say to someone, "Hey, everything is one. It's all one," you're kind of like. Okay, tell me a little more. Give me a little little beat on that. And so Sid's like, well, it's kind of like this, and it's kind of like that, and it's kind of like the other. But they're metaphors to point to something that's beyond metaphor. So the way I like to talk about it that just looks a lot simpler to me, Andy, is I know two things that are bedrock facts that really help me in my own life. They help me in working with a client or a group of clients, and I can – point to them for other people. And when they see them, it does something for them. So the two things that, in fact, in in my company, we believe that these two things are the most valuable things a person can discover. Number one, uh, where your experience is coming from. And now this, when I, when I describe this, Andy, where your experience is coming from, it's going to square with everything you know about neuroscience. So as we sit here right now, we're living in the experience of what I'm going to call the principle of thought taking form in the moment. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, in 1850, a guy called Helmholtz, who's the grandfather of neuroscience, discovered that we don't experience reality directly, that data pours in through our senses. And then our mind goes, what's my best guess at what's out there that would explain that data? And then we create an internally generated perceptual reality, a 3D holographic experience that hopefully lines up fairly well with whatever the hell's out there. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. So for instance, if you're walking down the street, you've had this experience, you're walking down the street, you see your buddy down the road and you start waving at him. He gets a little closer, you realize it's not him. And you start like pretending to scratch your head or something so you can get away with it. But a second beforehand, you saw him. You didn't think, oh, 50%, that looks like Joey. I'll start waving like a lunatic. No, you saw Joey. You hallucinated Joey. And then when he got a little closer, your 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 neurological and perceptual systems went, oh, update, not Joey. And, and that was that. Now, we've all had various flavors of that experience. It's what Anil Seth describes as a controlled hallucination. That's how our moment-to-moment experience is created. It does not look like that. It looks like we're looking out through little windows in our head, right? That's how it looks to me. But we're not. We're actually walking around in a 3D internally generated virtual reality that has a relatively good fit and match to whatever the hell's out there a lot of the time. Man, you see, you see, I'm trying to I'm trying to think that because I, I agree with you 100 percent is that um, is it David Eagleman, whatever he, he talks about, you know, you what does your brain see? Uh, mm. Nothing. It can't. It's locked away in a dark chamber. 
you know, it's got, it's got all it will do is take the energy around it and transmit it into what we call it. So, so a smell doesn't have a smell outside of your brain, and and and, and there, nothing exists out there. It's just all energy, and then we we by bringing our attention to it, we make it real. It's like oh, real in inverted. Now, if I go around telling my audiences that, mate, they'll think I'm a, uh, they'll think I'm weird. In fact, if 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 you told um, the old, it, mate, if you told the old version of me ten years ago that, I would have fallen around laughing at you. Well, I, I, I guess I have a benefit, which is I don't really care what anyone thinks. <laughs> uh, Love it. People already think I'm weird, but but the re it's sort of a serious point because because the thing is when your point, like I know, I, it's not lost on me that what I'm saying is so counter to what we've been taught. And what I, mean. I get it, like totally understood. And so the art, if you like, of sharing this understanding with people and waking them up to it is in kind of meeting them where they are and then kind of leading them in a certain direction. So the you, it's funny, Andy, you know, when I, I was first introduced to Sid Banks' work in 1999, and I read a book of his called The Missing Link, and I was like, well, that's bollocks. <laughs> and, and, tossed it. And, and then five years later, I looked at it again and confirmed my earlier opinion. And when I wrote my first book, Clarity, I wrote the book that I thought the me of 10 years earlier would have been able to read and hear yes. and make sense yeah. because it is. So, for instance, the thing I said about, you know, we're walking around in an internally generated perceptual reality. People can fall around laughing if they like, but you can go to the neurology textbooks. You can go to the research. It's true. It's not this is not woo woo. This is actually old neuroscience, like 170 years ago, yeah. they figured this out. This is old news. It's just that it's so, it, the implications of it are so shocking that we kind of overlook it. We kind of overlook it. I'll give you an example. I often have people come to me who they say, oh, I'm, I'm giving a talk in three weeks. I'm really, really nervous about it. Okay. I say, well, where do you believe that experience is coming from? And they're like, from the talk. Didn't I just tell you I got to talk in three weeks? It's like, okay, explain to me how those nervous feelings are getting from three weeks from now back through time into your body. Map that out for me. And they're like, uh, I'm like, okay, who's the weird one? Me with my, here's my 170 year old neurology explanation of what's going, or you living in a magic world where feelings can travel back through time from the future. You're weird, mate, not me. Checkmate. <laughs> so, so, mate, look, I'm not, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. So where, so there, I mean, I know the answer to this, I think, but where therefore are their feelings coming from? Okay, so they are genuinely feeling nervous and edgy, aren't they? Absolutely, absolutely. So let me give you a really simple metaphor for this. If 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 you look at if you know how little kids get given teddy bears or blankets or that sort of thing, and the little kid, it when they cuddle their teddy bear at bedtime, they feel a sense of comfort and security and well-being. And to that little kid, it genuinely seems like those feelings of comfort and security and well-being are coming from the teddy bear. But the teddy bear is full of stuffing. There's nothing coming from the teddy bear. A hundred percent of the feelings are being generated from within. Zero percent 
are being generated from the teddy bear. It's all coming from within the child. None of it's coming from the teddy bear. But it looks to the kid like the teddy bear's something got something to do with it. You take the teddy bear away, they freak out. It genuinely seems like the teddy bear is playing a really important part in it. Now, I'm not saying don't give child teddy bears. Like, it's great. It's fine. I'm just saying that trick of the mind, the belief that the feelings of comfort and security and well-being are coming from the bear, that's a trick of the mind. And so I'll explain that to audiences, Andy, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. It's a trick of the mind. Say, okay, it's the same trick of the mind when you substitute adult teddy bears, like your bank balance or your physical health or your partner, or that guy at the office who annoyed you, or uh, how much pressure so-and-so is putting me under, or whatever it might be, or your future, or your past, or your terrible childhood, or Brexit, or whatever. Those are teddy bears. I'm not saying they're not important. I'm not saying you don't need to make good decisions about them. But the idea that you can feel anything other than what's arising from within is a trick of the mind, 100% trick of the mind. So everything anybody is ever feeling ever is coming from their thinking in the moment. Well, I wouldn't call it thinking because that makes it sound like it's like ideas going through their head. I want to I wanna nuance it a little bit, Andy. What, how I would put it is we're living in the experience of what I'm calling the principle of thought taking form in the moment. So when I say the principle of thought, I'm talking about the power that's creating your perceptual reality, that's creating the room you're in, that's creating your experience of even having a body. I'm talking about this incredible, like you said, David Eagleman said that your brain's like locked in a in a sealed vat, right? And yet it's creating this multi-sensory 3D experience that we're walking around in. Not saying there aren't trees and walls and stuff, I'm just saying our experience of them is being created from within. Well, that's that power to create a human experience is what I'm calling the power of thought. And the feeling that you have moment to moment, that's being created by the power of thought also. The energy of thought, you might say, or the power of your ability to have a perceptual experience. Wowza, wowza, man, I can, I mean, yeah, I've been studying this now for about five or six years. I don't think I'm quite as far along as you are, but I, I really do get it. And I would say, mate, I would say, and I said this to an audience the other day, that I, I've spent a dozen years getting a PhD, right? That's long, hard hours of academic study. And I would say that the, the three principles and, and uh, has blown that out of the water. It's a bit mm. like it's blown NLP out of the water for you. I would say what you've just said is more powerful than my 12 years of academic research, right? But I'm coming at this, mate. I'm coming at this encumbered like a yoke around my neck from academia. So academia mm. teaches me to question it. It teaches me to say, prove it. It teaches me to, yeah. to, to show me a paper, show me a paper, show me a, a thesis on it. And, and the... the it's all mystical. I can trace it back to Hinduism and, and Buddhism, and, and I could argue that Sid's, Sid wasn't really original. He was just blending a lot of other things together. But, I, but the thing with you, and the, what I love about you, Jamie, is the certainty, because you absolutely know this to be true. You don't need an academic thesis or 130,000 words to prove it. Well, and, and 
Here's the funny thing, Andy. My by nature, I'm very disagreeable. So when I was first introduced to this, I was like, "This is this is not reality. This is just a nice methodology. This is nice ideas." And I'd been exploring it for about six months, and I people were saying, "Oh yeah, this is you know this is a fact." And I'm like, "Don't use the word fact with me. It's, this is just another model, just another metaphor, just that sort of thing." So I'm very disagreeable like that. And then in June 2009, I had another insight and I went, oh, holy shit, this is principles. This is principles like gravity is a principle. This is a pre-existing fact of life like germs are a pre-existing fact of life. Like germs were were no one knew about germs for most of human history, but they were there and they were affecting people day in, day out without anyone knowing it. Well, the discovery of germs and the proof of germ theory uh, was instrumental in adding an average of 30 years to the average human lifespan. Incredible. Like the change we've gone through over just the last like 130 years, 140 years is absolutely unprecedented. But it was there all along, but we didn't realize it. Well, I suddenly realized, oh, this is principles. And that changed everything. That that moment, the moment I saw that this is principles, I was like, I'm getting out of NLP. It's I loved NLP, but NLP is to this stuff like engineering is to physics. If you understand physics, you're going to be a better engineer. You're going to yeah. uh, and, and understanding the physics is going to completely change what choices you make as an engineer. So there's a way in which I'm still an engineer, but I'm fascinated with the physics these days. And what I've found is just learning the physics has profoundly transformational impact on people. So that's that's kind of the shift, if you like. Um, but the other thing I'd say, Andy. Like you, I'm even once I'd seen that, I was like, well, I'm skeptical. Let's start pressure testing it. Let's find examples. So I, I encourage people to disagree with me. I encourage people to give me examples where it looks like I'm talking BS. I encourage people to, to challenge me because I literally, I've been looking for the last 10 years. I haven't found a case where this is not the case. Now you could say, well, that's just excellent confirmation bias, but <laughs> I, I, I haven't, I, I, I typically, if I have this conversation, the person who's presented me with the challenge goes, oh yeah, you got a good point. Like we, we cause this seems to explain the, the nature of our psychology. Yeah. I, I agree entirely, Matt. I do agree. Um, I, I, my one little niggle, and you'll probably say that when I say this, you'll probably say, Andy, you don't understand the principles. I really genuinely think I, I'm getting there. I'm frustrated. Here's my, here's my thing, right? I'm frustrated by um, Sid's work because if you take it at its nth degree and at its sublime beauty, then essentially everything is thought. And once you realise that everything is just thinking, then that's it. That's basically the end of... That's it. That's all you need to know. My frustration, that takes me about 80% of the way there because I still think there's a room for positive psychology, NLP, whatever you want to call it, is Sid's thing. And, and I think a lot of the three P's practitioners is that your thoughts are random. So you can't control them. So they're going to come anyway. And all you need to do is be aware that it's all just thinking. And I would come at it from, from being steeped in positive psychology. And in fact, from your background in NLP, I don't think your thoughts are random. 
I think you can take, you can t there's certain strategies, very simple men mental strategies around gratitude or in NLP, anchoring or reframing, that will actually source you a better thought. And if you source a better thought, you've got a chance of feeling better. So why does, why do the three, the, my frustration is this, mate. I'm 80% of the way there. I understand the three principles. But I'm frustrated that the end point of the three Ps seems to be as simple as it's all just thinking and therefore that's the end of the theory. Well, it's not a theory, but you know what I mean. So, so can, yeah. why, why, why does it end there? Why does it not say and therefore learn a bit of NLP and you can learn to reframe your thinking? Why does it not go that far? Well, let me let me start from a slightly different place, Andy, um, because how I and, and I, I like that you've asked that, actually. My assertion to people I'm teaching, I say, I've got nothing to tell you about what you should and shouldn't do. Do whatever makes sense to you. Do whatever makes sense to you. What I can tell you about is how it works. Uh, what I can tell you about is what makes sense to me today. So I know two things for sure. Here's what I know for sure. Thing number one, we're living in the experience of thought 100% of the time, no exceptions. Okay. And what that means is that every horrible experience you've ever had was experienced through thought. I'm not saying if someone hit you on the toe with a hammer, you just made it up. I'm saying that your experience of that came to you through thought. Like you and I are looking at each other on computer screen, right? So your experience of me is brought to you by pixels, right? Like you could, you're not, it looks like you're dealing with Jamie, but actually you're dealing with pixels right now. So if I go like that, I'm not saying that I didn't go like that. I didn't waggle my fingers at you, but your experience of it was brought to you by the pixels on your computer screen. Well, similarly, your experience of life is brought to you by what I'm calling the pixels of perception, the principle of thought. So I know that for sure. We're living in the experience of thought in the moment, hundred percent of the time, no exceptions. Second thing I know, who you really are, your true self, your true identity is the one who's experiencing that stuff. Just, just so what that go, go means, for that. Yeah, go yeah, a bit deeper into I that will, one, please. Yeah. So, so I, I might say, okay, like you've got a nose, but you're not your nose. You've got a body, but you're not your body. You, you have thoughts, but you're not your thoughts. You've got a mind, but you're not your mind. Who you are is the one who's experiencing us. And who you are is not made of the stuff of the body or the thoughts or the mind. And we even reflect that in our language. We talk about my body. So who is the one who has a body? And if you explore, what you'll find is that there is no little man inside your head who's running the show. Who you are is something formless, something that cannot be pinned down, something that's not made of stuff. And this, again, this is not, uh, this is not woo-woo. Like anyone who goes, oh, I can find that. Go, go look for him. You won't find him. There's no one in there. There's no, the, who, who you really are is the one who's experiencing all of this. Now I know, here's, here's the thing. I'll, I'll just throw that out there as an assertion at the moment, Andy. That, I, those two things I know for sure. And here's the cool thing about the second one, who you really are is the one who's experiencing it. Who you really are is the source of well-being, is the 
the source of Brazil is the source of insight and realization. That's who you, that's, that's your nature. Your nature is peace and love and connection. Your nature is creativity and truth and beauty. Like that's our nature. That's at the heart of being. And once you start to see that for yourself and in others, then it really clears the deck. So I know those two things for sure. When I sit down with a group or to coach someone, I just go in knowing those two things and amazing transformations happen. Now, here's the interesting thing. When I first got to this understanding, I was like, well, I, why wouldn't I still do what you said? Why wouldn't I still reframe my thoughts? And, and people gave me all kinds of reasons why not to or whatever that didn't really make sense to me. So I just continue to do what makes sense to me until it doesn't make sense anymore. Now, it hasn't made sense to me. And I used to be in the reframing business, right? Like I was yeah, an NLP sure. trainer. I was a, a, an NLP trainer. I would be reframing left, right, and center and trying to manage my thinking. But here's what I've discovered, Andy. The benefits of allowing your mind's self-correcting system to do what it's built to do vastly outweigh the benefits of managing that self-correcting system. So a great example of this is little kids. Like if you look at the moods of a, of the average little kid, they're all over the place. They're all over the shop. But actually, if I was to at random choose a five-year-old, a 15-year-old and a 25-year-old and a 35-year-old, which one would you guess is going to demonstrate the most robust mental health? Yeah, probably the I don't know. The tiny one will spring back to being happy quicker. That's for sure. They're, they'll demonstrate that resilience. Now, what I'm going to suggest, Andy, is the reason they'll bounce back quicker is because that's built in. It's innate. And the thing that gets in the way of that is learning, conditioning, belief systems, all that sort of stuff. And what I find again and again and again is that as you start to see the, see the truth of those two things I mentioned, as you start to see that for yourself, it becomes so much more irrelevant to try and manage and control okay. your thinking. Okay. Yeah. That's no, what I, I found. But, but, but I, I just, I just, my codicil would be do whatever makes sense to you. Do whatever makes, I've got nothing to say about what people should do, what people shouldn't do. I know two things about how we work, and that seems to just set things up great. Uh, no, I love it, mate. I love the certainty of that, and uh, I agree with the certainty of that. And um, yeah, I mean, I've got a, well. Let me let me let me give you one, right? Because I was trying to. I've had I've had an interview this morning with the Sunday Mirror, mate. That's what a big shot I am, right? So they're doing a piece on stress. Who's the guru now? They're doing a piece on stress in the Sunday Mirror this Sunday. So a reporter rings me up and fires a series of scenarios at me and wants a stress-busting tip for each one, right? First one, the first one was, and I wanted to get some of some of the innate thinking in there, but, I mean, it's a bloody Sunday mirror, you know what I mean? It's not, it's not yeah. the Guardian, so I've got to be careful what I say. I don't want to come across as a dick any more than I actually am. So, and the first situation was your inbox is, you're overwhelmed by your inbox. You've got too many emails to do, right? So how... 
And that's real. That's real, isn't it? That's my thing. I can't say to the Sunday Mirror, oh, it's just your innate thinking in the moment that's causing the stress. I'm going to no. show you something. Go on. I'm going to show you something. See the uh, messages oh, man, on my man, phone? You've got 200, 287 unread unlistened, messages. Unlistened to voicemails. Okay, and that's not stressing you out at all? Not in the slightest. If people need to get in touch with me urgently, they'll text me or, or something like that. I, I encourage people to send text messages to me. If they don't, then that I don't want to reward the behavior I don't want. I, I, I can't got, tell the Sunday Mirror that, can I? <laughs> well, I, well, so here's the thing. And I, 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 I don't know why my head's going here, but on the day I die, I will have a full inbox. I guarantee it. There will be countless unread emails. And... There are people right now who have overflowing inboxes and they couldn't care less. And there are people right now who have over who have four unread messages and they're freaking out. There I'm there's no causal connection between stress and number of unread emails. It's just not a thing. Well, you've nailed it. I don't know quite how I should have worded that one with the old Daily Mirror, but no, I mean that's fantastic. So no, you're right. So it's well, the point is proven. Really, it isn't really the emails; it's the way we're thinking about them. Because you just held your phone up, and you've got nearly 300 unlistened to voicemails, and you're and you seem perfectly fine with that. So, so yeah, I, I, if I was bothered by it, I would probably do something about it. But. Uh... Okay, mate. Look, I mean, absolutely awesome. I've I've loved it. I think I'd better wrap it up. Um, I think, um, you know, the fact that emotions aren't real things is, is my thing. I'm, I'm on to at the moment. And emotion is a, is a feeling. It's a mental construct. So I always describe it as you can't put a happiness in a wheelbarrow. You can't buy it from Sainsbury's. So it exists as a mental construct. And therefore, there's only one place your happiness can ever come from. That is your thinking. So that's my way into, that's my way into positive psychology. Um, but I do think I'm still hooked up on changing your thinking rather than just but but you but and that's fine i'm, I'm just trying to get my head around it because you're fine with that as well you're fine with all you're you're doing is explaining how it works yeah and then what you do with that as a client that's up to you this is how it works no 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 doubt this is how it works and then if you want to fiddle around with your thinking you can but your point is you don't really need to well, the other thing I'd, I'd go back to that five-year-old, you know, who's demonstrating kind of robust bouncing back and that sort of thing. I don't think that that's because five-year-olds manage their thinking better. I think, I think it's because they have not yet been sold on the belief in a world that works in a way that it doesn't actually work. The world, the world, it genuinely seems to us like we live in an outside in the world. But if you stop and think about it, Andy, like as adults, we get given all these ideas of who we need to be in order to be successful. You know, we live in a semantic environment where we're being bombarded by advertising messages telling us what shape we need to be and how successful we need to be and all that sort of stuff. Well, it takes a while for people to get conditioned by that stuff into believing that there's something wrong with them, that they're not okay, that there's something missing. But it's a crock of shit. I mean, the, if, if it was true that you need to manage your thinking to be happy and that sort of thing, then 
people who read personal development books would be the happiest people <laughs> in the world and little children would be really miserable until they learn how to read. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Mate, boo, We've got boo. back. It's out of the ballpark with that fella. I mean, I've enjoyed, um, the clock is ticking to 44 minutes. I've enjoyed every single minute of it. But those last two minutes, fella, five-year-olds are not managing their thinking any better and they're happy. Maybe it's because they're not managing their thinking I mean, good gracious me, that's a whole new podcast coming up there. They're self-correcting, aren't they? They're doing exactly what you're talking yeah. about. Bloody hell. All right, mate. I mean, that's more than food for thought. That's a game-changing, life-changing proposition there. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to end it there, mate, because I know you're a busy man and I've got stuff to do. You look amazing, by the way. I think the audience needs to know. You look amazing. I met you 15 years ago. You didn't look... You look better now than you... Uh, seriously, you look seriously better now than you did 15 years ago. So whatever you're doing, you keep doing it. <laughs> You're very kind to say so. <laughs> Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks ever so much for giving me 45 minutes of your time. And um, I would, I'll, well, I'll, put, I'll top and tail the podcast with lots of, lots of gushing uh, praise. But I've really enjoyed it. Thanks ever so much, Jamie. Take care. Great to see you. Cheers, mate. And that, dear listener, is that. I hope you found it as interesting and as useful and as stimulating as I did. Congratulations, by the way, on making such a great choice of listening material. Please subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I wish you well. You've been listening to the Art of Brilliance podcast. Listen to and subscribe to all our podcasts at www.artofbrilliance.co.uk slash podcasts.